This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by one of the great beat reporters on the New York Jets beat. And a guy who, unfortunately, has been away way too long from this podcast. So I'm glad that he's back. The most dangerous man on the New York Jets beat. Dangerous, <laughs> Daryl Slater. What's going on, Daryl? Not too much, man. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Yeah, absolutely. I know you had your hands full with the draft last week. We had a ton of coverage going on all the way around on the podcast. You guys were rocking and rolling on NJ.com. And one of the things that the Jets weren't able to do during the draft was select Nick Bosa. Not a huge surprise. We all suspected that Bosa was number one on their draft board. Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News goes ahead and confirms that that is who they would have picked if they had had the opportunity. Not much to say about this, Daryl, other than no surprise, right? Yeah, so no surprise, as you said. You know, probably the best player in the draft. So the Jets needed an edge rusher. So, you know, no surprise at all that he was number one in their draft board. Yeah, we all know that Nick Bosa was the number one edge rusher on just about every board around the NFL. And this is the prototypical Mike McCagnan pick because he likes guys that have very high floors so that there's a low bust rate. He ended up getting one anyway, but with Nick Bosa, he would have had an edge rusher who was almost a guarantee to be a 10 to 12 sack guy barring injury. So you could knock me over with a feather at the revelation that the Jets were going to pick him at number one if they had had the top selection. I still think that it's going to end up being a blessing in disguise because I think Quinton Williams is a much better player. But we shall see as time goes on because the Jets had the opportunity to trade out of that number three pick and not draft Quinton Williams. One of the teams that tried to move up was the Buffalo Bills. It didn't happen. Daryl, how close did this actually come to happening, though? Yeah, they talked, and but uh, it wasn't enough for the Jets to, to move back. And I think they looked at it and saw that they could get a... Uh, a, a prominent player, a promising player in Quentin Williams, a guy who could help their run defense, help push the pocket from the middle as well in terms of gen- generating a pass rush. So I think they made the right move. I think they would have had to get a lot for, um, you know, the pick. But I think ultimately I think he'll be a productive player from Quentin Williams as well. Hopefully a more productive player than Darren Lee, who was their first-round pick in 2016. The Jets declined his fifth-year option, meaning that at the end of the season he becomes a free agent. Of course, there's still rumors swirling that the Jets are going to deal him before the start of the season. Daryl, let's unpack all of this. Let's talk about them declining that fifth-year option and then the possibility of a trade. On the surface, this would appear to just be standard operating procedure because we all know what the Jets think of Darren Lee at this point. And we all figure that they don't have him in their long-term plans. But should we read anything into the team declining his option in terms of whether it's more or less likely that he gets dealt before the season now? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a couple things. People knew what he was as a player already, so it's not like the Jets had to decline the option for to, to tell other teams what they really thought of him or what, what he is as a player. You know, he's fine. Nothing special, really. It hasn't been so far. So um, I think... When other teams look at it, they, they know, obviously, the Jets, I don't know how much they tip their hand now by, by declining the option. But but for in terms of a trade, it, it really does make them a, a little bit maybe more attractive because now with that fifth-year option, you would have been uh, not necessarily tied. It does, it's not a tie-in for 2020 automatically, but if he had gotten hurt or catastrophic injury this year, that option was is guaranteed for 2020. So now it's a pretty straightforward one year left in his deal, even though that essentially would have been the case anyway with the fifth-year option because you can – you can uh, cut the guy after the year as long as he doesn't suffer a catastrophic injury. So there's no risk of that injury situation now. Um, so 
it's a it's a pretty standard one year left in his deal situation. But you know, because of the type of player he is, and and the type of player he was even before they declined the option, uh, you know, you're not getting a lot. You're not going to get a lot for him. So do the Jets want to just wait it out and see what they get in terms of a compensatory pick next offseason? That's what they have to weigh versus what they could get to trade here immediately. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Depending on how much money the Jets spend in the offseason, it's impossible to know exactly if they would even have a shot at a compensatory pick. But if they did, unless Darren Lee somehow became a pro bowler and lived up to the expectations that the Jets had of him overnight, most likely if they get any compensatory pick, it's probably going to be a late rounder, right? Well, I think if he does step up his play big time and he gets a good deal, it probably will be a fifth rounder. But if, if, if he stays who he is, it'll be later than that, I think. So um, that if the Jets could have gotten a fifth round pick for him in a trade, I think they would have jumped on it. Or they should have at least. Definitely a fourth if they could have gotten that. But, um, you know, I just think you're seeing what people think of him, which is not much. Based on all the trade buzz, Darren Lee deleting all references to the Jets on his social media, which for a normal person might not mean anything, but for Darren Lee probably means a lot. The fact that he didn't show up to OTAs, how it seems like the team is going out of their way to make sure that he knows they don't want him. You would assume that come hell or high water, he's probably not going to be on this roster opening day, right? I don't know about that. I mean, he, he, he didn't show up for the veteran minicamp that they had. Um which is, you see that a lot for guys who could be traded. So I don't think that's a big deal necessarily because, you know, from his, from his perspective and maybe even from the Jets' perspective, they were may, maybe happy that he didn't show up because whether he got hurt or something like that in that, in that, in that uh, mini camp and then makes him basically untradeable. Um, you know, and from his perspective, why, you know, why show up when you don't have, you know, a guarantee of, of what your situation is going to be going forward? So uh, I think there's a possibility he's with the Jets this year. He's a cheap option in terms of the salary cap hit and he provides an interesting kind of dynamic for them in terms of a backup who can play in coverage probably better than Avery Williamson does so he could help them this year in terms of being a coverage guy um and 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 as a backup so I I think there's a possibility he's with them this year um if they can't get something for him why not like play up the year with a guy who has an affordable cap hit and then figure out next offseason when it comes and maybe get a compensatory pick for him I've said that in the past, although the more I look at this, the more I wonder if they just are desperate to get him off of this roster. But one guy, they're not desperate to get off the roster. In fact, it seemed like quite the opposite. They were desperate to get him onto the roster, shockingly enough, is Luke Falk, the former quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. Full disclosure, I actually liked him coming out of Washington. I thought he could develop into a solid long-term backup with the right coaching. So I don't actually hate this move. Some people are scratching their heads. Quite frankly, it's not like the Jets have some sort of amazing quarterback room right now with Brandon Silvers and Davis Webb. So if Adam Gase likes Luke Falk and thinks he could turn him into something, I'm all for giving him that shot. Sure. I mean, you're talking about a number three quarterback situation. So if, even if the Jets do keep a third quarterback, you're looking at a competition now between uh, between Davis Webb and probably Luke Falk. And then they could probably move on from Brandon Silvers. Maybe they keep a fifth quarterback during the spring here for an extra arm. But uh, at this point, it seems like Silvers would be the odd man out. They go into camp with four guys. You basically upgraded the back end of your quarterback room, apparently a little bit, with, with Falk in place of, in place of Silvers. Um so, you know, they'll, they'll battle it out, Webb and, and probably Falk will for the third quarterback job. If the Jets do keep three quarterbacks, they can put that guy in the practice squad or, you know, I don't think they would keep him active, but on the active roster. But, um, but it's, you know, one of those bottom of the roster, uh, 
sort of moves and trying to improve some depth and trying to figure out, you know, if one of these guys can maybe be a backup quarterback eventually. But Trevor Simeon's pretty young, too. So not really a big deal move. We probably wouldn't even be talking about it if it wasn't a quarterback. Right, and that's the thing with Adam Gase. He's known for being this so-called quarterback whisperer, so if we're going to trust him on anything, it should certainly be on a quarterback who's pretty young that he seems to like because he's taken him to a second team now, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he knows what this guy has in terms of having worked with him. Of course, he got hurt. Luke Falk did in October of last year, went on IR with a wrist injury. So Gase got to work with him for about a month, so he's familiar with him, and uh, Falk knows the system. So I think that's a plus from Gase's perspective. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I don't think Luke Falk is going to do much to hurt the New York Jets' salary cap situation, but they do still have some money left under the cap as they head into OTAs. Could mean that there's a move coming. It might just mean that they're going to store that cash. One guy whose name has come up is Morris Claiborne. Daryl, talk to me a little bit about what the Jets' salary cap situation going into OTAs means, and if you've heard anything on the Morris Claiborne front. Yeah, the Jets are opening to resigning more. They're open to resigning Morris Claiborne, so that's a possibility. And then certainly, the, you know, that's why you have salary cap room set aside. You don't go fully pressed up against your cap. And the Jets have to sign their their uh, draft picks too, so that you know that that takes cap space. Um, so those are all considerations that they that they have to account for um, with their cap. And uh, but yeah, I think there's a possibility Morris Claiborne could come back. Whether or not Claiborne comes back, all he would do is give them a stable presence at corner, which is definitely a good thing. They could use it, but he's not going to be on anybody's list for potential breakout players. There are some guys on the Jets that are, however. Daryl, you put together a list over at NJ.com. Who do you think are the likely candidates? Well, I think Sam Darnold would be the big one um, in terms of they need him to break out. You know, He has to do it. And I think if you look at some other guys... Um, you know, maybe Brandon Shell. This is the year that he goes from being a solid starter in a contract year this year to a guy who is more of a difference maker. So he's got a lot to play for this year. Another young player um, whose success is sort of tied into Darnold's success. If you think about it, you know, obviously being one of his linemen. So uh, I think those are a couple guys on offense. And I think if you look at, at this defense, you know, you thought maybe last year you looked at Darren Lee and thought you know he could be in that position, but uh, it's doesn't look like it's going to happen for him in terms of being a real difference maker player in the NFL. So I think Quinn Williams, you, you could say him because um, because of you know he's he's a high profile rookie. But yeah, you know, it's kind of a cop out to put a rookie on, on this list. But I would say uh, Leonard Williams would be an interesting one. You know, can he finally cash in? Um, you know, some more of these sack opportunities uh, with Quinn and Williams now in the mix. You know, that we've talked over and over and over again about freeing up. Leonard Williams for more double teams, getting more sack opportunities. And now that he has a guy there who can kind of help him out, will, will he kind of break out and have more sack opportunities uh, or finish more sack opportunities, I should say, in a contract year? So he's another guy who's got a lot to play for. Certainly Robbie Anderson would have to be high yeah. on that list too, right? Yeah, I think he's kind of broken out to a degree, but he wants to have a 1,000 yards. And um, I think he views himself as that type of player, and now it's his opportunity to go prove it. He said that he loves the idea of playing for Adam Gase and that he thinks Adam Gase can do some great things for him. So we're going to see if that actually happens, and maybe if it does, we'll be talking about something involving Gase other than the fact that he seems to be involved in some sort of turmoil with Mike McCagney, the general manager. Haven't had a chance to talk to you about this, Daryl, but we ran through this during draft week. Tell me a little about what you're hearing in regards to the Mac and Gase strife and also what your prediction is in terms of how this ends up. Well, I think 
you know, it's one of those things where a coach and a GM often have disagreements about players, and um, they obviously didn't fire him in the week after the draft. You know, I guess <laughs> I guess we're talking on Friday, so it could still happen. They're not going to fire. They were not. They're not going to fire him. It's not happening this off season. It's not. Um, that would be so ridiculous. It would be so dumb. I mean, they let him. I know it's happened in the past with other uh, with other GMs, but um, you know, they let him draft the guy at number three. They let him spend all that money in free agency. I mean. So I, I just don't see it. I mean, it happened with Dave Gettleman. It happened with John Dorsey. Yes, it did. But um, but that's uncommon. It's an uncommon situation. So uh, I, I don't I don't see it happening. But look, right now I don't see it happening. But I you know wrote something after the draft about this in that um, he's obviously on the hot seat. Nothing nothing that happened before. Nothing that happened with with that report changes that, or nothing that happened you know during draft week changes that. He was always going to be on the hot seat entering this year. We already knew that at the end of last year. I mean, not, the, the reality remains the same for Mike Cagney. The Jets have to show progress. They have to win probably seven games at least. Uh, otherwise, he's, he should be fired, I think. So um, that's his reality, and that's always been the case, and nothing about that has changed. And, uh, you know, he can be best friends with the coach or not. It doesn't matter. This is all about results. So um, if the Jets win seven games, I think they'll, I think they could win eight games. I think they win nine games. If they do that, I think he stays. You know, five, six, four, and he's gone. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Daryl, we've talked about this a lot, and you've written plenty about it, too, about how Mike McCagnin probably deserved to be fired at the end of last season, but now it seemed to be a weird time to do it unless the internal strife just gets unbearable. That said, as you just outlined, there should be expectations for this team, certainly greater expectations than there were last year and in 2017. And if Mike McCagnin doesn't deliver on those expectations, he could very well be shown the door. And you outlined in an article at NJ.com why if that were to happen and McCagnin were to underdeliver again, it would be more or less a no-brainer to get rid of him at that point, right? Yeah, obviously. Yeah, I mean, if he, the Jets win four games or five games, he's gone, and he should be gone. It would be a total no-brainer because that would mean that Sam Darnold didn't progress. Now, you know, if, if Sam Darnold gets hurt, does Mike McCagney get a mulligan? I don't think so. I think at this point, you know, he's out of mulligans. So um, that's that's just where he's at right now. So, like I said, nothing nothing about the report or anything like that with about strife or whatever changes any of that that's always been the reality for mike mccagden it's a results-based business and and it's time for the jets to start showing some results under his watch we talked about this in terms of mike mccagden but what about adam gase the expectations have got to be pretty high for him too in terms of improving over last year they made a lot of improvements in free agency and the draft so it would seem to me that if Adam Gase doesn't deliver a record that's significantly better than what Todd Bowles produced last year with a much worse roster, that he could be on the hot seat too if these power struggle rumors are true because ownership could be looking at it and saying, you guys are jockeying for position, but I'm not really happy with what either one of you have done. And again, this is theoretical because we don't know for sure that they're having as much trouble working together as the reports indicate. But if that is the case, they could look at it and say, you guys can't work together I can't trust you to work with anybody else, and maybe they just sweep everybody out at the end of the season if the Jets don't meet reasonable expectations. I would be shocked if they fired Adam Gase after this year. I think it would take an absolutely disastrous situation. It would take a disaster on multiple fronts in terms of the results, in terms of Sam Darnold's lack of development, in terms of internal strife or whatever. I don't see them firing him after one year. I mean, that's just just based on the odds of that happening in general, firing a coach after one year, I don't see it. You never know, but I think it's highly unlikely that it would come to that. Daryl, as we head into 
the rookie meetings and then into minicamp. What should we really be looking for in terms of storylines? What are some of the more prominent things that are surrounding the Jets that may even be under the radar? Yeah, so the Jets are not doing a rookie minicamp. They're just doing a rookie orientation next weekend. Um, a lot of teams are doing the rookie minicamp this weekend. The Jets aren't, are doing theirs next weekend, but like I said, they're not even doing anything on the field. So I think if you, you know, look at the main storylines would be the, you know, what type of role can these draft picks have this year outside of Quinn and Williams? Can Ja'Kai Polite push, uh, push Brandon Copeland for a starting role? Can Schumer Adoga, you know, I don't think he's going to start this year, but what, what can he offer? Um, and some of these other guys, what, what do the late round picks offer? So, uh, obviously, Quentin Williams is the biggest storyline. You know, how much of a difference maker is he going to be up front? Will he prove to be, you know, the right guy in terms of the pick that they made there, or should they have drafted Josh Allen? So, um, it's a lot of the same storylines that the Jets have been dealing with, which is uh, uncertainty and inconsistency on their offensive line, uncertainty and inconsistency with generating a pass rush or an edge rush. So, uh, these are things that uh, they hope uh, that, that they address in the draft and free agency. Um, and in terms of the you know, the rookie minicamp situation, uh, they're not going to have a lot of answers to those because they're they're just bringing the rookies in to kind of meet with them and stuff like that. So uh, they're not going to find out those answers next weekend. But uh, but OTAs are coming up quickly, and they'll incorporate obviously the rookies with the veterans in, the, in that situation. Has Gase said why he's doing it that way with the rookies? Yeah, we I think we asked him, but like basically it's a risk reward thing, like. When you have your, what did they draft? Six players? So you draft six players, say you sign like 15 undrafted free agents. You know, that, that's 20 guys. You got to fill out the practice with, with a bunch more guys and they ultimately wind up being trial players who don't have any shot at making your team anyway. So the, the value of those rookie minicamp practices versus the, uh, versus the possibility of a guy getting hurt, um, it just doesn't match up for, in Gase's mind. You know, he doesn't want, uh, something to happen to one of his guys who's actually going to be one of the rookies who's actually going to be on the team uh, at the expense of a tryout player who, you know, is just never going to be with the Jets ever. So the the, the value of those rookie minicamp practices, I mean, they're pretty sloppy and, and the, the players don't get a ton out of them. And Gase just wants the players to come in and uh, and learn the system, learn what he's trying to do and learn and learn what uh, Greg Williams is trying to do. And, and, and that's more important to him from a mental standpoint than getting these guys out in the field. Um, and running them through practice. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Daryl, last order of business. I didn't get a chance to ask you about this, so I figured I'd get your thoughts now. What did you think of what the Jets did on draft night? Quinn and Williams, Ja'Kai Polite, the rest of the picks. And then talk to me about the Giants, too, because as we speak, you're on your way to Giants rookie minicamp. I wanted to know what your thoughts were about Daniel Jones, Dave Gettleman, and apparently Dave Gettleman's bagel guy liking the pick. <laughs> um, 
Look, I I think it's a risky pick. I mean, it's any anyone would any objective observer would look at it and say Daniel Jones is a risky pick. So we'll see if he winds up being better than Haskins or, or vice versa. So um, I think they did a good job addressing the cornerback position with DeAndre Baker later in the first round. And um, so I think. You know, that's from those are my big takeaways, I guess, from a Giants perspective. But uh, Jets wise, can't argue with the Quinn and Williams pick. Um, the polite pick will be scrutinized because Chase went to the Patriots and the Jets passed on him. So a guy in a similar position, same position, and the Jets passed on him. And he went, he went to their division rival and um, and polite's got a lot of concerns. I mean, he's a he's a, he's got potential, but he has some concerns. So I, I think the Jets have to. How, how do they? Um, how do they, uh, you know, um, justify that in their mind? And, and they have, you know, because they picked them. But um, I think it's a risky pick. Um, they picked guys with some red flags, you know, polite, Doga. Um, and now you get down to the later round picks, you know, the kid from Rutgers who's been hurt at the cornerback, Weston Austin. But, you know, it's a six-round pick. So you're not talking about a difference maker there anyway, If you, even if you pick a healthy guy. But he's a guy with an interesting ceiling because of, you know, boy, where he maybe would have been picked if he hadn't been hurt. So, um, but the biggest, the biggest takeaways are they still have needs. I mean, they still have an issue at corner. They still have an issue at center. Um, but you can't fault them for what they did at number three. To the best of your knowledge, we talked about Buffalo, but did they come close to trading down with anybody else? And was that ultimately their preference? No, I think that they were open-minded about it. Um, and, and it just didn't work out in terms of getting a, a team to uh, give them what they wanted. But, um, yeah, I think they were open-minded to doing it. Um, but it just didn't work out. But, but, I, but look, I mean, do you have as many holes as they did? I don't think that they were not necessarily locked down to having to trade out of the pick. Um, I think they were fine taking a player there because, you know, they, they feel like they know a guy like Quentin Williams could be a contributor for them immediately since the Jets do have, you know, so many holes. Unfortunately, it's going to be a little while before we see Quentin Williams in action because, as we said, Adam Gase is not doing things the traditional way. No rookie minicamp, just rookie orientation, but we will have plenty to talk about when that happens because some of these rookies will be made available to the media. I'm sure that the coaching staff will talk, and maybe we'll get to hear Adam Gase talk a little bit about what's going on with Mike McCagney. I'm sure he'll give a bunch of denials and non-answers, but still I'll be curious to see how he handles the questions. And, Daryl, you will be at the front of the line as you always are with NJ.com. You and Matt Stipulkowski doing terrific work over there. For anybody that hasn't been over there lately and hasn't seen what you've been putting up and wants to know what's going to be going up over the next couple days, why don't you go ahead and let them know? Yeah, so we um, you know, we got to wrap up stuff in the draft and then put up some power rankings this week on head coaches, GM. So it's interesting to see where Adam Gates, Mike McTagnan are and uh, that sort of stuff. So um, looking ahead to, uh, to OTAs and Matt and I will have some stuff up on that. So a lot of stuff uh, wrapping up the draft and looking ahead. All I know is with you heading over to Giants camp right now, Stipulkowski going to be losing his partner to the Giants. Next thing I know, <laughs> we're going to be having a podcast talking about Daniel Jones in training camp over here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but <laughs> just helping out for one, just helping out for one day. So, uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to go out there and see 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 Daniel Jones throw the ball around, and you know, no one's going to be making final judgments on him based on how he looks today. But uh, but he'll be at you know, that's the biggest football story going on right. Th- you know, right now today in, in this area. So um, it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say because he didn't do a he didn't do a press conference like uh, the Jets didn't have Quinn and Williams do a press conference. Daniel Jones didn't do one either. So this is a, the first opportunity for him to you know be talking in person um, to the to the New York media and all that good stuff. So I'm sure it'll be an interesting day for him for sure. 
Thanks, Daryl. Enjoy the day watching Daniel Jones throw balls at garbage cans. I'm going back to 2004 <laughs> as Ralph Vacchiano wrote that story about how Eli was throwing balls at garbage cans in 2004. Thing is, I know that Daniel Jones kind of looks a little bit like Eli, but I don't think he's going to play anything like Eli. And I happen to think that Eli is overrated to begin with, but Daniel Jones still no Eli. However, he does have plenty of opportunity to prove a bunch of us wrong, and he will start to attempt to do that today at the first rookie minicamp. We will not get a look at the Jets rookies until actual minicamp starts with all the veterans, so we'll have to wait till the end of the month for that. One last thing before we wrap up, just want to say thank you again to Chris Moore for having me on his WFAN show early this morning to talk a little Jets. I've often said that Chris is the smartest man in sports talk radio, and I'm sure he'd agree that's sort of a blessing and a curse considering the way that that genre works. But Chris does a fantastic show. I always look forward to listening when he's on, so it was a real treat to hop on with him and talk a little bit about this team that makes us all so crazy all the time. Also glad that he was able to join me on the podcast in the past, and I hope that he will come back on sometime in the near future. Hopefully I didn't tank his ratings that badly, and he invites me back at some point. But if you missed it, which is totally understandable because it was on in the midnight hour, and a lot of people got to rest up for that final day of the work week, it's up right now at Radio.com and WFAN.com. I posted a link on my Twitter. I'll probably do it again. I had a lot of fun talking to Chris Really great conversation about the New York Jets, what's happened already, and where they're headed. So, again, if you didn't get a chance to check it out, please do. I'm really grateful to Chris for the opportunity, and I'm looking forward to having him back on the podcast really soon. Thanks again to Daryl for hopping on with me. Don't forget to check out the great work that he and Matt Stiplkowski are doing over at NJ.com. Make sure you follow both Matt and Daryl on Twitter, and also follow Chris Moore on Twitter if you're not already. It's at Moore to say that's M O O R E T O S A Y. Not only do you get his wit and wisdom on Twitter, I especially enjoy the conversations he has with his dog that he talks about in his tweets. But also, you get an opportunity to keep up on his schedule and know exactly when he's going to be on CBS Radio or WFAN. Like I said before, smartest guy in sports talk radio. So if you're looking for intelligent sports talk, you can never go wrong listening to Chris. Make sure that you follow him so that you get his great tweets, but also you can keep abreast of when he's going to be on the air next. Once again, if you missed it, don't forget to go ahead and download both me and Joe Caparoso appearing on Chris's show recently. I was on earlier this morning. Joe was on over the weekend. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. Let's turn on the Jets digital and turn on the Jets.com.